HEC Breakthroughs. A knowledge at HEC Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to HEC Breakthroughs, your monthly podcast by the Knowledge at HEC team. Breakthroughs brings you the best of HEC Paris's academic research from professors and PhD students. We show how this research relates to and impacts on the challenges our world is facing. I'm Daniel Brown, the school's chief editor. Today we look at the S component of ESG. No, this is not some elaborate chemical formula. I'm talking about the social element of environmental, social and governance performance. Despite increasing focus on ESG, stakeholders have only recently looked at the social questions involved. And yet, ignoring concerns like workers' rights in the supply chain can have serious consequences, as the Gilets Jaunes movement illustrated. Three HEC academics joined forces with an SNP global specialist to better understand such factors. They've brought out a landmark report on how ESG frameworks cover this issue, or don't. The report, called What Gets Measured, challenges traditional coverage of the social dimension in corporate ESG frameworks. It also suggests ways to ensure that what gets measured, in the author's own words, matters for businesses, the people, and the communities they impact. We talked to one of the authors who's running a new center at HEC Paris. Hi, Daniel. My name is Marike Heisentreit. I'm Associate Prof in Strategy and Business Policy, and I'm also the Academic Director of the Inclusive Economy Center at HEC Paris. Well, understanding environmental risk and impact is a big part of the ESG framework. The concept of sustainability in this context extends well beyond just the environment. The S pillar, social, examines an organization's social impact. It seeks to understand how well leadership manages relationships with stakeholders, including fair wages for workers, generating positive outcomes in the communities where they operate, and taking accountability for the actions and inactions of supply chain partners in other parts of the world. Environmental, social, and the governance, ESG, investing, remains controversial, with some saying investors are demanding corporations pay more attention to broader social issues. Others saying corporations should stick solely to earning profits for their shareholders. Joining us to discuss Hello, welcome to Sectors Up Close. I'm Elena Casas. My guest today is Dewi John, Head of Research for the UK and Ireland at Refinitiv Lippa. And today we enter the minefield that is ESG, or environmental, social and governance, a catch-all term that most companies these days are anxious to embrace. The Three approaches on the stakes behind implementing ESG factors. Our long exchange with Marike Hizentreit on social S questions begins with her definition of the social dimension for companies. Where we are at now is that we, we consider the company as part of its ecosystem. And so if we want to cons- understand the social dimension of firms, we need to really consider the company's whole value chain. And so it means that we not only look inside the firm and look at, for instance, the working conditions, uh, the human rights of own employees. We don't only look at um, equal opportunities inside the firm, but we also look at rights and justice um, for workers in the supply chain. We also look at the impact that companies have in the communities where they operate, how they influence end consumers. 
and of course their wider impact on society. So I think for me it's hard to single out um, which one is most important. <laughs> um, I think traditionally we've been quite focused on employees only and I think now is the time to really understand and, and take stock of firms uh, responsibility and it's, the role it plays in a more holistic way comprehensive way considering uh, all these different factors and you bring uh, the social aspect of ESG out of the shadows how unprecedented is this and, and why has it been slightly neglected compared to the issues around the environment and governance well, luckily, it's a good thing that now companies are more and more concerned about the environmental impact they have uh, and also how environment climate change may also affect their financials, their bottom line going forward. So so it's a good thing that there's been a lot of interest in taking a closer look at the environmental impacts and the relationship business environment. Um, we also have quite a lot of measurements that are more scientific to, to use. And the fact that the climate crisis has become so important has accelerated um, companies' interest in taking stock of their role vis-a-vis the environment. I think the social dimension has indeed been neglected, often outright ignored. Um, it's a more complicated, more political, more um, conflictual topic, I imagine, for many companies. There is less standardization. You know, these are important topics. If they are covered in a too superficial way, it can backfire. It's hard, you know, to, to put metrics on things like subjective well-being of employees. How do you actually get at this, measure it. measure it. And so I think that is also why companies have sort of stayed away from it for, for maybe too long of a time. If you think about it now, there is a huge wake-up call. I mean, we've seen the protests on the streets. We, and the COVID has certainly also accelerated that um, movement to challenge a little bit more what, what companies are doing on the social dimension. More and more, we hear companies saying that, you know, the way they will differentiate themselves from their peers, from their competitors, will be by achieving excellence or, or pursuing excellence excellence on the social dimension. Hello, my name is Isla Shaftain and today I'll be talking with Elizabeth Stewart about ESG investing. Hi Elizabeth. Hello. Okay, to start off with, the S in ESG stands for social. So what does this mean when it comes to investing in companies? Uh, this means that we expect companies to be treating their employees and the communities all around them with respect and to be a responsible employer um, that has a generally positive effect on our society as a whole. So why is it important to consider these things? Yeah, well, we certainly don't want to be rewarding companies that are making more money from treating people badly. We want to ensure that everyone is being paid fairly for the work that they do and that they have a nice environment to go to work in every day. Also, if companies aren't treating people with respect, you can almost guarantee that there's a lot more wrong with the company. Um, so it makes them a little bit of a risky buy. And in investing, we kind of generally want to stay with You and your really two fellow researchers have uh, created a database to analyze the social factor in 18 ESG frameworks. Could you describe them? Yes. So the database really uh, took all the existing uh, frameworks out there that are on which we can find publicly available data 
databases uh, or frameworks rather that uh, aim to be comprehensive, so not focusing on one factor only, but try to be comprehensive. So we took basically the population of all the frameworks that we could find out there, uh, where uh, where we find detailed information on, on which factors they measure and, uh, and so forth, their methodology. Uh, and that's basically our starting point then to say, well, okay, this is actually a little bit of a complicated forest. <laughs> we don't really know how these different frameworks compare to one another. And that's exactly then the, the exercise of the study is to say, okay, well, here's sort of, let's say, the state-of-the-art ESG frameworks out there. Uh, on which dimensions do they agree? On which dimensions do they disagree? Uh, how do we make sense of those points of conflict and agreement? And in the course of this year-long study, you give four reasons for the blockage of uh, social issues. Which are the greatest challenges to overcome? There's, There's one that business doesn't understand exactly what social issues are comprised of. There's a superficial treatment, there's poor measurement matrix and data. And uh, that's, uh, unfortunately, the social issues are dominated by the environmental and governance issues. Yeah, but uh, with this study, we start with one obstacle. So we look at the scope of coverage. Um, So meaning that many ESG frameworks actually disagree on what should be included and what what should be left out. And so I think that's already a first step is to try to sort of take stock of which are, broadly speaking, the topics that are considered to be valid topics to um, better our understanding of what is the social impact of a company. Once we agree on that, what are the metrics to be used? And uh, again, one obstacle is going to be how do we valorize also the synergies between environment and social, social and governance? Now these frameworks force us to consider those different dimensions as standalone dimensions. But of course, what becomes very exciting, and, and you know, this, this is being brought out by big topics like climate refugees. Well, it's clear that you know, there are social dimensions, social issues that companies are, are confronted with that are cut across different um, big topics that connect e- environment and social. So yeah, if you want, if you're asking what's the sort of biggest obstacle, I'll tell you like, well, there is a problem of coverage because that's exactly where we start. It's the first problem, uh, the, uh, the foundational problem. But then once we go beyond this paper, we will soon discover that there will be other issues, which is how do you actually measure these topics? Do you use qualitative, quantitative measures, and how do you measure them in a way that is comparative across? companies and so forth and so on. So this is just, I guess, the beginning of trying to sort of make more sense of what is today a very complex set of frameworks, um, but which are incredibly influential. So I think making sense of that uh, forest, let's say, of, of different frameworks is very important because they may well, these frameworks may well guide investment resources of companies going forward in terms of what will they focus on. HEC Breakthroughs, a knowledge at HEC podcast. Yes, uh, Marika, you do also underline how beneficial it can be to integrate and better understand and better calculate the social issues at the heart of ESG. Could you describe how beneficial it can be and perhaps illustrate it in terms of uh, companies doing a good job in terms of social issues? Well, you know, some of these ESG frameworks, for instance, they... um, will put a li- very little weight on social dimensions okay and so that may that may lead some companies to look very good uh, in terms of their ESG performance but uh, that may lead investors and stakeholders at large to overlook some important problems and sometimes those problems emerge and they become scandals and we have seen many scandals um, before because there was a big gap between how these companies 
of score were scored uh, in in terms of their, for instance, their employee well-being, their the ability of of employees to to voice their concern. All of those issues were not measured by the ESG frameworks that the company was using. And so that company looked very good on paper, but in fact, inside it was a mess. And so, and that mess was revealed, in fact. Revealed and you, you give this example yeah. of a UK-based group in fast fashion retailing, yeah. abusing workers. Perhaps you could go into more details about this company and what happened once it, they were denounced and revealed. Um, yeah, so this is a company where there was a scandalous behavior vis-a-vis their workforce that was uh, made public and the uh, response was uh, rightly so quite severe. So this is a company that subsequently lost a lot in value. Uh, so it was both investors and consumers that reacted negatively to that kind of news. So I think what is important about the example is just that it, it raises awareness about sometimes without having a better understanding of what it is that ESG frameworks capture, we may be misled. I think this is a general idea of a report like this, is that we should look at these uh, frameworks critically and be aware of what are some of the factors that are well covered, which factors are not well covered. And so in the end, uh, one of the suggestions of the report is also to say, well, if an investor or any type of stakeholder would like to have a better understanding of what the social dimension of this company is, they would be well advised to combine different ESG frameworks and not just focus on one. Because, in fact, uh, based on our study, there's not a single ESG framework that is all comprehensive and sort of strong on all the different uh, dimensions that uh, we intuitively might care about. So ESG has to play an important role in that, or otherwise we wouldn't incorporate that. And so for us, when you take a step back and ask, all right, what exactly is ESG? You know, ESG is a set of data and a set of factors. Right. And the question then becomes, how are you researching those factors? How are you applying those factors to different investment processes? But when you look at really what a modern company has become, and I mean the growth of intangible assets, the growth of intellectual capital, the use of technology, a much better awareness and understanding of the role that climate the plays. The report actually does pinpoint uh, the fact that you've identified higher consensus factors in uh, the social frameworks, uh, such as the minority inclusion or workplace accidents. And then the worst examples, mental health uh, impacts uh, on minorities. Perhaps you could elaborate a little bit uh, this uh, contrasting approach to social issues. Well, I mean, I think the first uh, observation is to say that that is a real problem. Uh, for instance, the fact that mental health and well-being is actually a, a topic that is not systematically being covered. Then again, I'm you know I'm not so surprised because these are issues that are becoming uh, more visible. Uh, mental health and well-being concerns are have traditionally been uh, invisible. Uh, they are highly stigmatized, stereotyped. Uh, and so it's only recently, as companies are more and more looking at trying to re-engage their employee, employees of their company, that this is a topic that become more important. And so measurement is lagging behind. So even though uh, now there's a lot of press attention to, to these topics, but measurement and the, these frameworks are lagging behind. And that's maybe another important insight is to understand that these ESG frameworks, they are slow to evolve, typically slow process of deliberation with many different stakeholders. Um, and sometimes uh, it is a race to the bottom, finding the sort of minimum compromise, a minimum consensus or minimum area where uh, all stakeholders agree upon. But that also means that very important contemporary social issues 
issues uh, may not be uh, systematically addressed through these ESG frameworks. And one nice example of this is, for instance, the refugee crisis today, uh, more pronounced following the war in Ukraine. Um, uh, What you should know is that none of these ESG frameworks actually systematically uh, require companies to report on the impacts they may have on refugees or vice versa, the impact that they may have as a company on conflict or, or war. HEC breakthroughs. It's one of the more luxurious buildings in the Paris area. This retirement home is run by the group Orpia. Based in France, they run care homes in 22 countries all over the world with over a thousand facilities. But a new book is questioning the level of hygiene in this and similar homes around the country. Marika, there is also this example of Orpea, which is a retirement home chain here in France. And the strong negative economic consequences that resulted in a very public scandal, mistreatment of the patients. Why, for you, do companies persist and continue to ignore social issues and the social impact when the results can even mean the end of their company? Well, I think if you take Orpea's case, one of the reasons was that they were not forced to actually disclose information on all these important elements concerning their workforce. So basically, if the ESG frameworks that they were using did not require the company to actually disclose that kind of information, that there was no pressure to change, right? So I think I'm sure some of the people who were very close to the company were surprised, were probably not even aware, okay? So part of it is, you know, some of these, as, as we show in the in the study, is that some ESG frameworks just systematically overlook important topics that um, should be covered. And so that's part of the answer is that there, there may have been some genuine ignorance because there was no outside party that was actually pressuring the company to disclose information. The good news there is that actually with the uh, European reforms and the new standards that will be coming into force from January 2024 onwards, companies will be forced to disclose. So so this idea that the lack of information uh, is is a driver for weak social performance, at least there we will have a chance to force companies to upgrade the extent to which they disclose information and hopefully that will also lead to better social performance. Construction Grand Projet, qui est l'entité française chargée de tous ces grands ouvrages à l'étranger, et des dirigeants français de sa filiale Qatari, QDVC. We're talking, uh, Marika Huizentreut, as the Qatar World Cup is taking place. And we saw recently that with uh, Vinci's investment in Qatar, they are currently facing legal actions uh, by the Sherpa lawyers. Is it only this kind of pressure sometimes from without that moves things on? in terms of the social dimension. Sure. I think those, you know, in France, we have this uh, law, the due diligence law. So according to which companies are really obliged to consider their, their value chain and to consider the supply chain workers and, and whether their rights are being respected. Uh, of course, that law, um, it's not so easy to um, put into force. So there needs to be also auditing and who will actually ensure that companies are respecting that uh, due diligence law. But the law exists and I think it's an important law because it can create precedence and it certainly influences firms' behavior. 
Um, likewise, uh, with the standards that are going to become law uh, at the European level, they will be influential. So I think regulation, new standards uh, that are set at the EU level can uh, have an important influence on firm behavior. Is Europe at the forefront in terms of tackling social issues, in terms of legislation? How does it compare to the United States or even to, to Asia? That's a great question. So I would say that what will come into force in Europe is different from the, the standards that are typically used in the US because Europe has chosen to put into practice this notion of double materiality which in some means that a company not only has to report on how, for instance, social issues uh, may affect its bottom line, meaning, okay, is there a risk that there will be strikes? Because if, if nobody shows up in the factories, there's no revenues that can be created. But you know, that's, the, that's the financial materiality of social issues. But they also have to disclose on how they, as a company, affect social issues. And so then we're getting into the questions of wage inequality, all the kind of messy stuff. So that's the sort of impact materiality. If you compare Europe's position to what we see in the US, that is a new thing. That is more, I would say, it's, it is bold. It is asking a lot of considerations from companies uh, on both financial materiality and impact materiality. HEC breakthroughs. Marika, elsewhere I've read that uh, leadership is an important factor in terms of moving ESG issues. Uh, could you elaborate? Thank you, Daniel, for the question around um, leadership. I think looking at the state of, of affairs on the social dimension, I think probably the most appropriate posture of leaders who want to challenge their company and their employees on the social dimension is one of humility, uh, determination and openness to really uh, also see how they can advance uh, the social uh, effects, their social impacts through collaboration with uh, other stakeholders. So I think that's going to be, uh, those are kind of key competencies, I would say, that uh, leaders uh, who want to really excel in this field uh, are well advised to develop. And then one thing you should notice is that when it comes to ESG frameworks, it's one thing to have, I think, and it's a, a necessary condition to have leadership buy-in, to have uh, to to have a leadership that assumes uh, a certain starting point, which may be suboptimal, but with a strong vision of how situations can improve and how the impact of their companies can improve. So that's a necessary condition to have that kind of strong vision and leadership. On the other hand, when it comes to ESG frameworks and really disclosing information, there are so many people who have to work really, really hard to bring together all that information. And clearly those will not only be the leaders, but that, that actually requires transparency, good coordination of information across multiple units uh, within a company. And that is also something that will have to be applauded, rewarded, uh, encouraged, because only when that will happen, we will actually be able to find out about companies' uh, social dimension in a fully comprehensive, um, reliable way. In terms of the role of business, Marika, the debate has evolved, as you point out, from whether companies should engage in social issues to how they should engage and what impact. How much further must the debate go in looking into the future? 
I think the debate needs to continue on whether to engage because we still have, you know, don't underestimate, there's still quite a lot of resistance. There are still many companies that, first of all, want to get their CO2 emissions uh, down <laughs> uh, and will do everything necessary and maybe also uh, uh, at the detriment of, of human rights. Uh, but so, the, you know, there is that discussion that needs to keep going to sort of really keep uh, challenging companies on their social dimension. But of course, I think a growing share of companies are convinced um, that inequalities matter. They are convinced about uh, the need to respect human rights. They are convinced about many important social issues. And indeed, the question becomes, what's the most effective way of um, mobilizing their resources to address various social topics? And which one is the most impactful? Which one is the, the lever that this particular company can, can pull and, and on, on which it can have the biggest impact? And I think those are very rich, important discussions to continue to have. I think the, the vision should hopefully be one where we push for more and more honest transparency and we create knowledge that becomes accessible to scholars, to academics, uh, that they can use and to uh, build on, to formulate new strategies and to work hand in hand with government, private enterprises, uh, all kinds of organizations to uh, ensure that we create a future that is uh, inclusive for all. Finally, uh, Marike Heusentreut, where do you want to take this research? Ideally, what I would love to do is to work with many, many companies and, and many different organizations to test different ways of how to accelerate, how to uh, change certain practices, managerial practices or production processes, anything that uh, could help a company to strengthen the social impact they have in society or help an organization more generally speaking strengthen their, their impact. So I think where I would like to go is to test, to experiment different ways of changing the status quo because I think that's, that's, that'll probably be part of the answer, um, developing new ideas, testing those in the field rigorously so in a way that then the best and most promising ideas can be scaled up. And, and all of this, again, with a, with a clear focus on how we can we create a society that creates opportunities for all and that is inclusive, that respects justice and human rights principles and that generates benefits uh, and shares benefits fairly with, with everyone. Marike, thank you very much. Uh, you're welcome, Daniel. It was a pleasure. <laughs> HEC Breakthroughs, a knowledge at HEC podcast. Marike Hezentreit, HEC Associate Professor in Strategy and Business Policy. Marike co-signed the report What Gets Measured with fellow HEC academics Benedict Fevre-Tavigno and Leandro Nardi, as well as Bruce Thompson, a social specialist in ESG at SNP Global. That's it for this Breakthroughs podcast. It's part of the Knowledge at HEC podcast series. Next time round, we talk to Professor Itza Gilboa of the Economics and Decision Sciences Department here at HEC. Itzak shares with us his research on decision under uncertainty. It touches on unforeseen crises like climate change, health pandemics or the energy shortages, what some call black swans. Part of the black swans issue that you mentioned is that, you know, one approach that says, oh, something happened that no one predicted or, okay, post hoc, someone had predicted, but most people, most experts have, have not. And um, you say, well, okay, so there's a black swan, let's move on. But when you look at the collection, you see that quite a lot of black swans overall. 
Okay, so sometimes they come from the geopolitical arena, sometimes it could be an epidemic, so sometimes it could be financial. Uh, but there are many surprises, and the non-Bayesian approach that we're trying to promote says, well, maybe we should admit that we don't really know everything. So it's a bit more humble approach that says some probabilities we cannot quite quantify, and let's admit that this is the case. We'll be hearing more from Professor Gilboa on Black Swan's non-Bayesian theory and much more next month. By the way, he recently published an important research paper with Yale University professor Larry Samuelson on decision theory as a coherent test. Well, tune in again in January 2023 for breakthroughs from HEC Paris. Till then, goodbye. Goodbye.